Around 350 BC, the Greek historian, soldier, and mercenary, Xenophon, writes perhaps some of the earliest works detailing the command of cavalry and the use and care of horses. Throughout the ages, many cultures make use of horses in warfare. Early nomadic Central Asian peoples utilized cavalry in constant conflict among the many other tribes in their area, most famously in the Mongol conquest over most of the Eurasian continent. Muslim warriors in North Africa, Asia, and Europe during the 7th and 8th centuries also make use of light cavalry in their campaigns throughout those regions. The Middle Ages saw European knights become the ultimate heavy cavalry as armored men and their sometimes armored horses ride into battle as England, France, Germany, Spain, and other countries fight over territory and later as the Roman Catholic Church mounts the Crusades from about A.D. 1096 through 1291. Long after the Crusades, conflict over territory continues as United States cavalrymen Lieutenant Colonel George T. Dennison writes in his 1868 book, Modern Cavalry, in which he gives a brief history of cavalry in 1500s Europe. Prince Alexander of Parma, when in 1552 he wished to surprise the Duke of Alençon, mounted several companies of infantry on pack horses and thus hastened towards the enemy. This was the first instance of the employment of that force, and shortly afterwards, it became customary to mount large bodies of infantry in order to move them quickly upon the decisive points, until at length dragoons came to form a portion of every army. Now that firearms are so much more deadly than heretofore, so much the greater advantage will be derived from the employment of mounted men trained to fight on foot with these new weapons. Well, today as we continue our series on In the Wild, we're looking at the war horse. So as you just heard a moment ago, there's a history of just how powerful the cavalry has been and also the idea of using it in battle. But if you think about these horses and just how amazing it is that these horses are trained to run into battle, and you suddenly, sometimes you see a movie like that, and one of those movies just gives you that sense of courage and that sense of uh, empowerment, that epic feeling. I mean, do you have a favorite movie that has a, a horse scene in it? Maybe it's that scene in The Patriot when Mel Gibson's trying to save his son or get revenge for his son and going up against the, the, the British army. Or maybe it's the first black regiment. You saw the movie Glory. And there's those powerful moments where they're, they're moving into battle together with courage and fight. There's something about that. It almost instills you with courage when you see someone going into battle. And you think about what this horse must have been trained to do to prepare for battle. Well, Job, as we've been studying in this last few weeks, has been going through his own battle. He is going through one of the most difficult days, weeks, months, maybe even year at this point that he's ever been through. Health crisis, business crisis, financial crisis, family crisis. It's just all on him. And he thinks he needs a day in court to argue his case as to why God is not treating him right. But God tells him he needs actually a day in the wild. And one of the journeys he takes him on is to visit with a war horse. 
to show him the war horse and said, there's something in this war horse I want you to see that will help you understand, like that opening song from Imagine Dragons. What if we could say to God, whip, whip, train me like a, like a, like a, like a wild horse, prepare me for battles. I love the adrenaline that occurs in my life when I know I can face whatever's coming before me. So as he takes him out to the wild to visit with this wild horse, this war horse, he says, Job, the problem is, if you're going to take on the challenges in your life, if you're going to take the worst life has to offer you, because life will kick you in the teeth, you've got to stop horsing around with me and saddle up with strength. And many of us have spent a lot of our life horsing around with faith, horsing around with God, horsing around with, well, maybe I'll go a little Christmas here, a little Easter there, and that's fine. You can come as little as you want to our church. But it is amazing how Life will kick you and punch you and hit you and you suddenly stop horsing around with your source of strength. You stop horsing around with faith. You say, I've got to get some answers to meaning, to purpose. I've got to get the resources I need to take on what's coming at my family or my marriage right now. And God's going to say that to Job. Get time to stop horsing around with God and let me saddle you up with the strength you're going to need to take on these challenges. And he's going to show that built into the war horse are three really unique reversals that prepare you to have perseverance for life. In fact, Job has a phrase that will carry on through generations. It's called the perseverance of Job. He had success, he had money, but what he was known for after this encounter with God is the perseverance of being trained like a war horse because of this encounter with God. In his book, The Gift of Pain, Dr. Brand talks about the years he spent as a medical doctor doing some pioneering work with leprosy. He was in some of the most difficult places in the world helping people with leprosy. That's a condition where your nerve endings stop working. And because you can't feel anything without the pain, you actually end up cutting yourself because you didn't know it. And you've got these deep wounds and you didn't even realize it because you don't have the, the nerve endings. And pain is a gift. It tells you when you need to get help. But what struck him is after the opening part of his career, working with people in severe poverty, severe pain, with leprosy, he spent the back half of his career back in the States. And he noticed a huge cultural difference between everywhere else in the world and here in America. Here's what he said. He said, In the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated. These are the happiest. They're living like kings, everybody in America. But they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering. And nothing wrong with not wanting pain, right? We're not masochists. But pain's going to come. And are you equipped like a war horse to take on pain when it comes? So let's look at these three reversals that he shows you in the horse. And the first one is this. God wants to strengthen you for battle, not shrink your battles to your strengths. See, I kind of want that. I'm kind of like, hey, God, that looks hard. That looks difficult. That looks beyond me. I don't like that. That looks painful. Shrink that. Shrink that problem with my kids. Shrink this issue in my marriage. Shrink this problem that's going on in the business right now. God's like, I'm not going to shrink your battles to your strengths. 
I'm instead going to strengthen you to prepare for battle. I mean, isn't that what you do with a horse? I mean, if you have a thoroughbred, if you have a horse that's been trained to run, trained to fight, that you want to prepare them to be a triple crown winner, do you say, well, you know what? We're not really going to take them out and race them or develop those muscles or put them through trauma. I mean, they look so pretty. Let's just take them to, like, you know, kids' pony shows. And you've got this thoroughbred that you're taking to shrink in very small little pony shows. Oh, they're so pretty, so pretty. Does that train that horse for what it was made for? No. And that's exactly what God's telling Job here. I'm not going to shrink your battles to your strengths. I want to strengthen you for battle. Here's how he says it. He goes, look at the war horse. He says, have you given the horse strength? Look at the muscles in that horse. I gave it muscles to prepare for battle. Have you clothed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, I want to prepare you the way I prepared a battle horse. A battle horse is trained. You strengthen them. You run tests on them. You put armor on them. You run them through higher and higher runs, longer and longer runs, bigger and bigger challenges because you want them to be ready that whatever it takes, whatever comes its way, it's going to be prepared for. That's what I'm trying to design you for. That's what I'm trying to create you for. Now, I don't know if you know, but I'm a magician. So I've been a magician for many, many years. I started doing card tricks and, and uh, balloon tricks and things like that when I was a kid and training myself. Well, several years ago, a friend who goes to the church said, hey, I know somebody who is the top music magician in the world. And he lives here in Cincinnati. He was actually the head of the Magic Society. I'm sure we all know who the head of the Magic Society is, don't we? Yeah. Even I didn't know who the head of the Magic Society was. So I head over to the quarter. We come to this uh, table in the quarter. I sit down to eat, and in walks Kenny Klosterman. So you may know Klosterman uh, bread. So Kenny walks in. I didn't know Kenny at all. And he sat down. He said, hey, I'm Kenny Klosterman. It's nice to meet you. I said, I understand you do magic. He said, yeah, I was the president of the uh, Worldwide Magic Association for many years. And he actually took me to his house, gave me tours of magic stuff given to, that he has of Houdini and Robert Houdin and Penn and Teller. Just a really fun time. As we sat there at the quarter that day, I said, well, tell me how you got into the bread business. He said, well, actually, it started, I bought this bread business on a, on a whim, and I was totally, completely unqualified to run this business. And it became very obvious very early on things were devastating i had personnel issues i had union issues i didn't know anything about that Uh, we didn't have enough work for the kind of personnel and payroll we had he said it was tough and it was difficult and i met with other business leaders here in the community and they kind of helped me say i was way off track in these assumptions and that assumption it was hard 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 so much so he said that i started doing what was considered slop business so what's that He said, no bread companies provided bread for local restaurants. That was considered beneath them. But we needed work. So I sort of started coming to places like the Quarter and other restaurants and saying, hey, our company will provide bread for you. So we became the bread company for restaurants. And people really looked down on us. But I was just trying to train myself on how to make this work. He said, well, one day I happened to be at the Quarter and I was eating bread. I was was eating food. And somebody walked over to me and said, hey, uh, Mr. Klosterman, I'd like to introduce you to somebody. Um, this is somebody visiting today. He was just trying out the bread here at the restaurant, and he, he really wanted to know who made it and why it's so tasty. And I noticed you were here, and I thought, hey, um, why don't you meet? So Ken Klosterman, why don't you meet this guy? His name is Ray Kroc. 
And that became the business deal that set up Clusterman Bread, making all the bread from the McDonald's Corporation. And he said, you know, it's amazing. I wouldn't have thought that this business that I bought kind of on a whim in a little cocky way and having to work through personnel issues I was totally unqualified for and choosing to pick slop work would prepare me for this incredible business move that would occur. But I was being trained for that. When I was getting the tour of his magic supplies, which was just amazing, he, this was a couple years ago, he told me that his wife had been in long-term um, care in his home for many, many years. She was relatively, um, not quite vegetable state, but pretty close to it, and just how heartbroken he was. And just how challenging that kind of health crisis has been for them, for him, for his life, and that he'd been caring for her and loving her you know, in that condition for many, many years. He told me a story because they live right up where I used to live up in Loveland and they got this massive horse farm up there and how his wife, when he started the bread business, really got into training horses. And so they were developing the whole procedure of, of getting thoroughbred horses and training them and so they got their first horse ready for sale. And this is the first big deal for her as she was starting this business and she had trained and prepared and got all the things needed for this and they got their first offer, $50,000 for this horse. And he's like, Yes, you'll buy it. His wife, he said, who would just continue to have incredible instincts for business, turned to him and said, Kenny, I think we can get a lot more. A lot more? You know, we got a cash flow issue. It's our first big break. It's a great place to start. She said, no, we're going to wait and go to auction. We have done the right work. We prepared this thing. It's worth a lot more. And he told me that they ended up selling that at auction for something like 300000 or $500,000, that first horse. And then she became one of the top breeders of horses from that point on. And I was struck by that story that day because simultaneously I saw somebody who is an expert in raising and training thoroughbred horses. And yet also I got to hear the story of how God trained and prepared through difficulty and challenge, business challenges and, and family crisis health challenges to prepare him for what was before him. What if you were God and you were trying to train you to be a triple crown winner. Not to have a comfortable life. Not to have a pain-free life. But what if you wanted to train you to be a triple crown winner? To compete at, at Keeneland or, or Churchill Downs. Wouldn't your life be filled with adversity and challenge if you were trying to strengthen you for battle? To win a race, let alone win a battle? Not just shrink your challenges to your current strengths? See, when you stop messing around with God, stop horsing around with God, you start realizing, God, I want you to saddle me up for what's in front of me. I want you to saddle me up for what's prepared. God, I'm going to trust you. Which is why we get to the second reversal. And the second reversal is pretty fascinating because he says, you know, the thing about the horse is the, the horse knows how to rejoice in what God has given him instead of recoiling at what he hasn't. You think that most of us are living like kings if you go back 100 years, 200 years ago. If you have actually options of what you can eat, and a meal, you're a king. And how much do we spend of our day being grateful for what we have? Rejoicing in all the gifts and all the opportunities and all the talents and all the good things God has placed in our life? Very little. Because we're so focused on recalling what he hasn't done, what he hasn't fixed, what he hasn't done yet, what hasn't got in front of us, a disappointment. Why'd you let this happen? Why'd you not let that happen? He says, you know what the horse knows, the war horse? He knows how to rejoice in what I have given him, rather than recoiling at what I haven't. Look what he says. 
Same verse I read earlier, but notice the word clothed and given. Have you given the horse strength? I gave that to the horse. I built that into the horse. The same way I'm trying to build some things into you. And I clothed his neck with thunder. I wanted that look on his neck of something glorious when he ran into battle. When he, the beauty and majesty of my creation. Have you ever thought about your life, your strengths, your talents as being clothed by God, strengthened by God? Because the horse at the end here, it says he rejoices in his strength. He knows how to rejoice. This is what God's given me. And that doesn't mean it's always easy. Sometimes you're rejoicing in the battle before you. Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen here, but I'm rejoicing that God is with me as I head into this battle. One of the most amazing passages in the New Testament speaks about Jesus. So Job is one of the oldest books in the Bible. Thousands of years later is Jesus. And describing Jesus as two weird things. Jesus does not want to go to the cross. Who would? He begs his dad not to go to the cross. His dad says, no, this is the only way. So then it says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He said, dad, if this is what is going to help prepare me to be the war horse I need to be, now, this is the battle I need to fight to rescue other people who are going to need forgiveness. For the joy set before me, I'm going to receive the cross as your gift to me, and I'm going to take it on with joy. It says something even weirder, because again, Christianity teaches that Jesus was perfect. He was God. But Hebrews says that through his suffering, Jesus was made more perfect. How do you get more perfect? Well, it's in battles, it's in suffering, it's in trials, you see what somebody's made of. Jesus was made of all the good stuff, but it was until he went to the cross we got to see what kind of a God can have traitors pound nails into his hands and feet, and what comes out of him is not swearing and cursing, all things would come out of you or me, but what comes out of him are things like, Father, forgive them! Where'd that come from? For they know not what they do. What kind of a man... Or what kind of a God could forgive somebody while they're crucifying him? See, Jesus was made more perfect through suffering because like every good movie, why does the hero get beat up for half the movie? Why does Rocky get beat up for nine rounds before he finally wins? Because you want to see what he's made of. You see the power and strength of our character because of the tribulation they go through. And Jesus does the same thing. And he knew how to rejoice even when the cross was given to him rather than recoiling at what God hadn't given him. I was reading a book that I mentioned a few weeks ago called How to Walk Through Pain and Suffering. In the book, it references a young couple in Tim Keller's church. And they faced some adversity. They had just had their first baby and it was a crisis. It was an emergency. The doctor said the baby may not live. Mother and daughter called their pastor, and his pastor's name was William, and said, we need some advice. The doctor has told us that, number one, our child has Down syndrome, and number two, that our child has a respiratory condition that if we don't fix it, nature's going to play its course, and we're going to lose our child in a few days. The doctor had advised them that a child with special needs is very, very hard, and it's very, very hard in your marriage. Chance of divorce goes up exponentially. It's very hard to be the kind of parent you want to be to your other kids. 
So the doctor had recommended that they not fix this easy-to-fix condition with the respiratory and lungs so that nature would take its course and they would not have this kind of suffering in their life. When he mentioned the word suffering, the mother said this. At the word suffering, the wife suddenly seemed to understand what the doctor was saying. She countered that her children... Because he said, how are you going to be the kind of mom you want to your other children if you have a special needs child? She countered that her children had lived in a safe and comfortable world with every advantage in the world. They had known, if anything, too little of suffering and the difficulty of life in the world. She spoke of God's hand and said, I could certainly see why it would make sense for a child with these kind of challenges to be born into a family like ours. Our children will do just fine with a little bit of suffering. When you think about it, This is going to be a great opportunity. The doctor turned to the pastor and said, could you help me talk some sense into them? They're being a little naive. And the pastor said, they are talking sense. It's just the kind of sense you don't recognize. A recognition of the sanctity of life. A recognition that suffering is not something to be avoided. It's going to be hard. It may be even naive. As a father of a special needs son, I can tell you, it's not easy. But... That God is going to use this and we're going to be a gift to this. And God may have purposely put this child into our life so that we can learn some things. And so that we can learn love in a way we've never learned before. And the doctor didn't even recognize this was logic. This made sense. It was just a logic he hadn't seen before. These are folks who are saying, we're going to receive whatever God's given us. Whatever the challenge is. And say, God, saddle us up for strength. Use us to prepare us. Make us into the kind of people you want us to be through this challenge set before us. How about you? Do you feel like there's gratitude flowing out of your heart? How how many times in a given day, week, or month are you rejoicing or thanking whether you believe in the God of the Bible or or the universe or whatever it is? Is is gratitude coming out of you for everything that you've been born in America, that you have the talents and opportunities that you have to do what you do? Or are you just always recoiling at what's not happening and complaining at what's not happening? And is that recoiling, is that complaining, making you a better person, making you a better husband, making you a better wife? See, this reversal, learning how to rejoice at what life gives you and say, God, use that to strengthen me for what I need, prepares you to live the best kind of life and to overcome the challenges of life. The third reversal is fasting that he talks to Job about. Is that there's this tendency to run away from battles. But he says, I want you, Job, to have what the war horse has, the ability to ride into battle rather than running away from it. That in your fight and flight mentality, instead of saying, avoid all battles, avoid all uh, adversity and challenge, what if you knew you were strengthened? What if you knew you were prepared? What if you knew I had saddled you up for what you needed? That whatever comes your way, you could take it on. Wouldn't you want that for your life? That you don't have to be scared of the unknown because whatever it is, you're set, you're prepared, you have the resources, you're equipped for it. That's what I would want. If I want to read you the words that God says about the war horse in his perspective running into battle. But before I do that, I want to show you again what a, a war horse looks like. So travel back with me in time as these horses are preparing for battle. And look what Job's, God's words are to Job. Go ahead and hit play.
really good. It's really powerful, actually. So I can imagine horses running right now and doing amazing things. I'll give you one more minute. Turn the lights back on if you can't make it work. Oh, here he goes. So imagine these horses and soldiers have been trained. They're prepared. Is there a little nervousness? Sure. But this is the day they've been preparing for. This is the challenge before them. They look to the left and to the right, fellow men ready to go into battle to take on a just cause. As they head into battle, here's what God says the horse feels when it's running down the field. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened. Nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him. The glittering spear and javelin. Oh, the warhorse, he devours the distance with fierceness and with rage. Nor does he halt when he, because of the trumpet sounding. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! And he smells the battle from afar. And God, look at the war horse when he comes into battle. In the same way he takes on the battles of life, runs toward the battles of life, I want to prepare you to do the same. Aha! He says, I smell the battle from afar. I mean, wouldn't you want just not just to feel that in a movie, but to feel that in life? Those are the exact words. Imagine having that perspective. To look at whatever marriage challenges before you, whatever life challenges before you, and to say, Aha! Oh, I smell a battle coming. Instead of saying, Here we go again. What if instead we could say, God, here we grow again. This is a challenge to see you show up in an incredible way. See you bring something out of me or bring something into me that I didn't know was there. This is what it is to be equipped with perseverance. To be like the war horse. Look at those words. He gallops toward. He rides in the battle. He mocks at fear. I'm prepared for this. He's not frightened. Nor does he turn back from the sword. Whatever difficulty it is, he doesn't turn back. Whoa, I didn't think it was going to be that bad war. He gallops into it. He runs into it. And at the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! I got to tell you, I'm not there most of the time. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I'm not there. But I want to be. I like to be. And if there is some lessons here in the war horse that I could begin to think of my life as a training ground where God wants to train me and prepare me for battle, Rather than finding every conceivable way I can to organize or manage my life out of misery or out of difficulty, that might change my mindset. Have you ever ridden on a horse at a a real gallop into battle before? Or a real gallop across the field? I grew up in a little small town, Groven, Illinois. And there was a real small place that you could ride horses about 15 minutes from my house. And so I mean, we'd go and get on these horses. And so it was like I was a kid, and we'd get on the horse. And they had trained these horses. I mean, trained and trained and trained these horses to never move more than about a half a mile an hour. I mean, you would saddle up on these things. It didn't matter. Kick, kick, kick. 
Ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom. Come on, come on, yeah, yeah. Ba-doom, ba-doom. And so I'm riding on this horse, it's like the third time I've ever been on the horse, and I'm telling you, it is. It didn't matter what train. These ain't been trained to not move anything but the slow, methodic, boring pace. And I'm trying to get these things moving. We get down. It's a really hot day. I remember we come down into this creek. Ba-doom, 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 ba-doom. And, and mine's at the very end. I'm doing the keel thing under this thing. Nothing's happening. We get down to the little creek. It's about two inches of water running through. And my horse is like, whoa. My horse sits down. And I'm like, I jump off. Like, what in the world? My horse, this sounds like a pastor story. I'm telling you, I have witnesses. My horse sits down and rolls in the creek. And I look at the guide like he's like, huh, never seen that one before. And so I get back on my wet saddle, my bottom, 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 bottom. Like, I think for many of us, we, we've allowed our faith and, and our life to be trained pretty much like that. You know, bottom, bottom, and if I can roll in some water, that'd be fine. Let's go back in. About five years ago, a guy called me up from the church and said, Hey, I'm going riding the horses. I got a couple horses you want to go with. Have you rid horses before? Oh, I've rid horses before. Yeah, yeah I've rid horses before. So we go down uh, over at Indian Hill. Um, we get on his, his horse, and, and we're going along. And this horse, you, you tap it, boom! It's, I mean, it's galloping. I'm like, whoa! And I was aware that I had never rid horses before. And, and so we're up to not just a ba-doom, ba-doom speed, but a medium speed. And then he's like, well, let's really get him going. Really get him? I thought we were really getting him going. And he takes off, and I'm like standing in the saddle, you know, and wow! I mean, I'm like afraid for my life. I mean, this horse is much taller than I ever imagined. There's trees nearby, and I'm like, oh my, I'm holding on. I, I thought like... Who's in control of who here? And it was like fast paced. I'm like, well, I can't let anybody know. So in, outside, I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Inside, I'm like, ah, ah, ah. Now, it was, it was scary riding at full gallop, a horse I hadn't done that before. And I think that's what happens many times with our faith or God. We're galloping along and life is coming at us fast. And we're not, we're not comfortable in the saddle. We, we, we haven't been used to what it looks like to, to pray, what it looks like to ask God for resources. It just feels like, oh my goodness, life is out of control. Because we haven't allowed ourselves to be trained to how to pray, how to incorporate truth from the Bible, to pull it into the resources or promises you might need as you face a challenge. And so you don't have that, whoa, I can't wait to smell the battle that the war horse has. You have a, get me out of here. This is actually worse than I thought. And that's a chance to back up and say, okay, I've been, I've been horsing around with my faith. I've been horsing around with God. God, I want you to start saddling me up. Give me the resources I need to prepare for what's before me. And to do that, what Job's going to have to do is, is a lot is at stake here. How he's going to handle this crisis is a chance for him to fight for his own faith and the fight of faith of others. His community is watching him. The world is watching him. His wife is watching him. He's eventually going to have a whole other family, and he's going to have a chance to impact four generations of kids and grandkids who've been watching how he handles adversity. Have you ever thought about that? Now, little would he know that there would be his story would be recorded in a book called the Bible and there would be literally millions of people who read his story. The stakes are high for you and I, how we handle our faith. You're not just fighting for your own strength. You're fighting for those who are around you watching how you will handle whatever the health crisis is, the relationship crisis, whatever the transition crisis you is that you're facing. 
And if you begin to take that perspective, God, I want to be saddled up with strength. I want to become that triple crown winner to impact generations who are watching me. It changes your perspective. You begin to say, I'm not going to be controlled by fear anymore. I've done a lot of work this last year looking at all the ways fear has controlled me. And quite frankly, a year ago, I would have told you fear doesn't really show up much in my life until I start journaling a lot more. But oh my goodness, it shows up everywhere. The fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, fear of not preparing enough, taking over responsibility for things that aren't mine because fearing something will fall apart, fear of people being unhappy, fear of letting people down. I said, oh my goodness, there is... I thought I was kind of a war horse. I'm more like a... I said, God, I want you to start to equip me and saddle me up in these areas. I don't want to take these weakness spots, these broken spots, and the people watching me in my life, I want to see them see you equip me to be stronger and braver and more courageous. And that's going to face not just you fighting for your own faith, but the faith of others. I talked to a friend a few weeks ago who had some fears about going to our Belize trip. We just had a whole group of people who just came back from Belize this weekend. But before going into that, he said, I'm kind of nervous about this. I've never been on a trip to a third world country. You know, what's going to happen? What kind of diseases are there? What kind of safety issues are there? There's a lot of legitimate things to be scared of. He talked to other team members who said, not something to worry about. Have we got those things covered? And you know what? It's worth facing your fears. It's worth going there despite the the difficulties you're sensing. You're going to find the fears aren't nearly as big as you think. That's what fear stands for, by the way. False expectations appearing real. As you start seeing a bunch of things you think are real, but they're mostly made up. Then the legitimate things, let's be courageous. Let's feel the fear and do it anyway. So he went down and just told me amazing ways God worked in the story. People he got to help in the village clinic. The connections he made with people on the team he got to help. With medical issues who just happened to be on his team in his van. And then a group of people decided to go down because since 2004, we as a church have been building houses for people. Facing fears, facing challenges and saying we're fighting not just for our own faith, but to share the faith of a God who loves people who are under-resourced. There's a woman who, John Kirby sent me the YouTube video of the prayer that she gave. It's a pretty powerful story. She has a son who's 90% blind. Plus, at seven years old, he was mute. She has no resources. Her brother gave her a plot of land about the size of the stage. So in case one day she could have a home, or at least have a place to take care of their special needs son... But she didn't dare. She she thought, well, right now she and her husband and son are living in a shed with a mud floor. And they just hoped maybe one day she could get enough sticks together to create some kind of a hut that she could live in. She talked to the guy we coordinate with down there over the last 15 years, Raphael, who said, Americans are coming to build you a home. She's like, right, yeah, I'm sure Americans are going to come build me a home. She didn't even dare to dream that big. But you can build a home in Belize for $10,000. A Habitat for Humanity Home is about $100,000. $10,000, Americans came down and built a home, and John sent me the videotape of this woman weeping, just weeping next to her brand new home, thanking the community of Americans, the community of Christians, the community of people fighting for their own faith, to face their own fears, going to another place to do village clinic and do surgeries and build homes, so that she and her life... She and her son, she and her husband, who makes $20 a day in the cane field when he can get work, have their whole life transformed. And they don't just have a house. 
But they understand what it, what was behind that house was somebody showing what faith in God looks like and being a conduit of that faith. See, all of us want to win at life. Like that battle horse. He wants to win the battle, not just go into battle. We want to leave a legacy. We want to make a difference. There, there's a passage in the Bible called the Hall of Fame. They call it the Hall of Faith. It's in Hebrews. It says, these are the things that really matter. These are the people that stuck out in God's Hall of Fame. Here's what it says. What shall I say then? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith they subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received the dead back to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockery or scourging, and yes, of chains of imprisonments. Some wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy of them. And all these obtained a good testimony through faith. And one page over in the book of James, Job is mentioned. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. I want my kids and grandkids to hear and be known for the perseverance of Chad. I want to be in God's hall of fame, not because I lived a comfortable life an easy life or a fun life, and all those are important to me, that I persevered through challenges, that my faith overcame whatever was before me. I overcame difficult times in my marriage as well as enjoying the great times in my marriage. I overcame difficult times and circumstances that I will be one who beats life and wins at life because I have the perseverance of Job that put him in God's Hall of Fame. Let's pray together. God, we... Thank you for the promise that this world's going to be tough, but we are overcomers, that you have overcome the world. And so we want to go out today, not feel like we're burdened down, but feel like we are equipped and ready for battle. God, make us, give us that spirit of overcoming, that we will be war horses on behalf of our faith, war horses on behalf of our God, war horses on behalf of our family. Father, allow us to face whatever's before us, knowing that you are with us. And maybe as we conclude today, you want to say that to God in your own prayer. Just say, God, make me into a war horse for you. Or saddle me up for strength as I face the challenges before me. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, if you need a map on how to maybe begin that process, Ken Kington is with us tonight and tomorrow morning. We're starting part two of our authentic manhood journey. We have women's studies and Bible studies for folks all over the church. But this is a specific one for men that starts tonight and tomorrow morning to help give you a a way to fight for your own faith and the faith of others. Otherwise, join us next week as we continue our final two weeks on In the Wild. Thanks for being here.